Well, good morning again, church. It's good to see you all here this morning. Hey, in all my preparation and effort to not forget something, guess what I did? I forgot something. One important announcement. Carl is obviously not here today. Carl is in, I know, Carl is in Guatemala. He's getting everything set up for the next phase of implementation for our fifth academy in the largest urban slum in Central America. If you're here for the first time this morning, you have no idea what I'm talking about. We are partnered with a ministry, actually a woman named Tita down there in Guatemala City, who runs an amazing ministry there in the heart of the big Guatemala City um, that is shining a light in some very dark places there in the largest urban slum in Central America. And we've had the opportunity to partner with her over and her ministry over the last more than a decade now. And the latest, the latest segment or the latest phase of that is another academy, which is basically a, an elementary school for the kids who live there. And you guys were so unbelievably generous, especially over the holidays. Our complete Christmas Eve offering went to this ministry, went to this Fifth Academy. And you guys raised over $100,000 for that academy down there. And so now that that phase is over, we're going through and getting things set up to where we can actually implement and get that Fifth Academy built. I got a text from Carl, I think it was the night before, maybe it was last night, just this big long novel of a text. And in it he said, and there's too much to explain in this text. And I thought, wow, if there's too much to explain in that text, there's a lot. So he's going to be back next Sunday with all the details of his trip to Guatemala. He says it's going great. It's going phenomenal, actually. And God is working in ways that uh, even, even he didn't understand and even he didn't foresee. So be sure you're keeping that whole effort, especially Carl, in prayer. Deal? Awesome. So we have been in this series we've called Endgame where we steal a page from the line of Marvel comic movies, especially the one where they all kind of get a chance to go back and get a redo on some of the things that maybe they would, would have chosen to do differently. And wouldn't that be nice to get a redo, to kind of go, yeah, that whole 20 to 25 years old, I want a mulligan on all those five years. I need a redo there where things have just gotten twisted sideways and we want to go back and go, let me do that one again. I need a do-over on that one. But unfortunately, we can't. We can't have a redo. So in this series, we've been considering how we might live with the end game in mind. On the front end, live with that end game in mind. So we not only minimize the desire to go back and have a redo, but actually maybe get it right the first time. And in doing so, we step into our God-given destiny. So today, I want to keep things really, really simple. Some of you are like, oh, thank God. So if you, if you like simple, today is your day. One of the reasons I want to keep it really simple, kind of one main point, one theme, is because the one main point is going to be kind of difficult. It's going to be a little unpleasant at times. So I kind of drew the short straw with today's message in that regard. The very first week when we kicked off this series, we said this. We kind of gave a biblical definition of destiny. Destiny is serving God's purpose with your life and expanding his kingdom in the world. Serving God's purpose with my life, and in doing so, I expand God's kingdom. I grow his kingdom in the world. One of the things Carl said that very first, when we, that very first Sunday when we kicked this off, he says, we were custom made uniquely by God, to fulfill a custom, unique purpose from God, for God. We were designed 
custom made by God to fulfill a custom purpose from God, and all that is for God. So those aren't actually Carl's words. He was kind of taking creative liberties with Psalm 139. It says this, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when, when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body, and here it is. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. That sounds pretty good. I think that sounds pretty cool. Thinking that I'm wonderfully made, fearfully and wonderfully made, that my days were ordained in this book that God has. But if I'm telling the truth, that sounds good because it's Sunday morning and I'm in church. For a lot of us, even in church, that's a tough sell. Because you know the week you had last week. You know the morning you had this morning. Or maybe you know the quarter your company had last quarter. And words like this sound good, but in theory. Because when it comes to actually verifying them and applying them with my life, there's a lot of times where I go, that must be for somebody else or some other group of people. That can't be me because I know the week I had. I know the year I had. We sat up here. We do a thing called five good minutes. It's usually at the very end of the year. And we kind of, as a staff, we sit up here and we talk about the year. And uh, when we did that in December, last day of December, I think it was, that was really difficult because 2019, um, a lot of the staff was put through the ringer in 2019. And to hear things like, you're wonderfully made. Well, not, not according to 2019. According to 2019, I was made for kicking around. So, today we're going to talk about something that might help us get those two things more closely matched up. And what I mean by that is this idea of a God-given destiny and me being at a place where I can say, yes, I'm fulfilling my destiny. And keep in mind, this is regardless of calling. If you were here last week, we talked about the difference between calling and destiny. Because calling can take us to some pretty crazy places. Would you agree? Calling can take us to some weird sort of like, what is going on here? Last week we looked at the life of Elijah and how his call took him to some spots where he was like on a mountain, literally on a mountaintop, doing great things for God. There were people that were just amazed by what God was doing through him. And then his call took him to some spots where he was utterly alone where his resources were literally and figuratively drying up. So a call or the different circumstances and situations in life that our call can take us is different from our destiny. So we're going to talk about something today that may just be the missing link when it comes to getting our destiny and our understanding of our destiny straightened out. But it's going to get a little rough. So Carl will be back next week. You can, you can tell him how uncomfortable I made you feel and that you never want me to preach again. We, start, we started off giving you these seven characteristics of people who fulfill their destiny. We flashed these up on the screen that first week and we've been reiterating, ever, reiterating it ever since. 
And we've kind of dipped our toe in these waters periodically, and then at some point, inevitably, those waters get a little uncomfortable and we get right out. Because this list has some things on it that maybe we like, maybe we've got down, and maybe some things on it that we don't have down. So number one, people who have put themselves in a place to fulfill their destiny have a vibrant and growing relationship with Jesus. We talked about how prayer is an intricate part of that, or an integral part of that. Number two, have a vibrant and growing relationship with spouse slash children slash family. Whichever of those three God has made you a part of, people have a vibrant and growing relationship. They also have a vibrant and growing relationship with other people. The people you work with, the people you are on the court with or on the field with or you hang out with. Number four, they have financial freedom and sacrificial giving to God. Number five, they live a life free from bondage to substances and behaviors. They're not shackled to addictions. They're not shackled to dangerous behaviors or destructive behaviors. Number six, they've taken great risks in faith. They've heard God speak and they've said yes on the front end before they know what they're saying yes to. And then lastly, they have a zeal for sharing their faith with others. So like I said, over the last three weeks, four weeks or so, we've been flashing these things on the screen. And we've been saying people who put themselves in a place to fulfill and actually are fulfilling their destiny display these seven characteristics. And so maybe over the last few meetings, or maybe if you're here for the first time this morning, you look at those, and my guess is, because this is what I did, I went, yeah, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh, oh, whoa, not that one. Let's just, let's skip over that one. Let's pretend like that one's not there, because that's my weak spot. That's my problematic area. And it makes you feel uncomfortable, and you'd rather not have that on the list. And keep in mind, one of the unfortunate things about this list is it's not really a comprehensive list. Did you notice sex and intimacy is not really up there? Although if we kind of, I think number two, if we unpack that a little bit, we'd eventually land there at those two things. But it's not really a comprehensive list. There's something where you might know or you might see that and it may make you think of something where you go, yeah, that's the thing. That's the, that's the rock in my boot. That, if I could get that out, I'd be, I'd be running well. And we want to just ignore the fact that it's any type, it's any factor in any type of life equation. So this week we're going to talk about something that I would be willing to bet all of us want to avoid like the plague. We want to steer clear of it by any means necessary. But it's something that will get us closer to understanding and stepping into our destiny. And in order to do that, we have to come face to face with a word that all of us hate. None of us have neutral feelings towards this word. This is not a word where we go, mm, yeah, okay, okay, mm -hmm, sure. But our coming to terms with this word may be the only thing standing between us and our destiny. You guys ready? It's this word right here, surrender. We hate that word. Especially as Americans, we hate that word. If you were born and raised red-blooded American, this word, uh-uh. No, we don't, we don't do that word. That word doesn't exist in our vocabulary. That's not an option. That's true. 
We have, in our, it's funny, in our junior high program, we have a lot of um, um, RYF players, Rancho's youth football players, seventh and eighth graders. And of course, they're junior hires, so you can only expect so much cognitively from them. You know, there's chemicals and weird stuff going on, and so you kind of you give, give them stuff in small doses. So there's a few of them in here. I, I tell them the same thing. But with the Rancho's youth football players that are in the group, we don't talk about surrender because they haven't really had enough laps around the track to, to kind of go, Ugh. but one word we do use is we use a word called forfeit. And when I say forfeit, they're all like, no, we don't do that. We'll go three on 11. We, but we do not forfeit. But while there are some differences between forfeit and surrender at, at their base, they have that, that, that still kind of just, just that bad taste. It leaves us with a bad taste in our mouth. And we don't like that word. But for many of us, fulfilling our God-given destiny may involve implementing this one filthy word into our lives. And up until now, it's been kept off the table. No, we don't surrender. But I think we're going to find out today there's a different type of surrender that needs to happen. And thank God we have his word to help us out with that, right? Thank God we have God's word to help us take a look at how we might do that. So it's a story you may know it's a story that gets a lot of publicity in VBS programs and Sunday mornings. Maybe if you've been in church for a while, you've heard this story. Maybe if, even if you haven't been in church for a while, you've heard this story. But it does get relegated a lot to children's programs and VBS programs. But it's a lesson with two, it, it, it's too valuable a lesson to let us relegate it to children's programs. It's the story of a guy named Jonah. And one of the reasons it's been relegated to children's programs is because it's got a really crazy story about a big fish right smack dab in the middle, and it's hard to get around. But we're not going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about something that's more valuable. In my opinion, it's more valuable than that. So open your books, open your Bibles to Jonah chapter 1. In a lot of your Bibles, it's kind of towards the middle. Jonah's considered a minor prophet, not necessarily because his words aren't really valuable, but because those books of the minor prophets are smaller. So if you've hit Matthew, you've gone too far to the right, turn to the left and go back. If you're in Genesis, turn to the right and go forward. We're going to be in Jonah chapter 1. It says this, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Have you ever overheard something that you wish you, you want to pretend like you didn't hear it? You're like, why am I standing right here right now? Why did I have to over here? I've told the high school students and the junior hires, I'm like, guys, if you're going to say it that loud that I'm going to hear it, you guys, you guys need to know that I'm going to actually have to do something about it. But my wife and I do this with each other all the time. After we have our 20-year wedding anniversary coming up this summer. I cannot believe that. And over the last 20 years, you kind of, after you're married for a while, you kind of develop tactics. You know, you kind of, you kind of figure your spouse out a little bit and you develop tactics. I do this to my wife all the time. I just pretend like I didn't hear it. Hey, you remember we're going to my aunt's house this weekend? And I'll go, what? She'll go, don't. She'll roll her eyes, go, don't pretend like you didn't hear me. And I'm like, oh, you know, you start thinking up ways to, you know, justify it. Like, you know, I had a mouthful of corn chips or cereal or something. Sorry, what? No, there was nothing going on like that. I'll do that to her all the time. 
What? Didn't hear you. I would imagine Jonah would have been like this. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. What? Most of us would say, what's the big deal? That's pretty cool. I would actually love to hear with my ears the voice of God. That'd be pretty awesome. But we need some context here. What God said to Jonah was something very undesirable for him. Something he wanted to just pretend like he didn't hear. Because Nineveh was the capital of the, what was at that time the Assyrian Empire. And the Syrian Empire was known for its brutality. The Syrian Empire expanded its borders by taking captive nations by brutal force. There are stories that in the Assyrian Empire, every man who was fit, whether rich or poor, was required to serve in a three-year rotation. And the first year was pretty basic. They would help out with infrastructure in rows, just making Assyria a better Assyria. But then the second year was the one where the rubber really met the road, and each man was required to, have, to, to do a year of military service. And that is where they were required to implement these brutal military tactics that involved torture, dismemberment. There was stories of the Assyrian Empire being the first empire to actually use psychological warfare before the days of dropping leaflets on towns. They would just spread rumors, spread stories. And so nations that were about to be conquered would hear of the stories that had happened to the nations that preceded them. And they would try to flee in terror. Some would commit suicide. If they were a leader, they would commit suicide before the Assyrians even had a chance to march on them. Historians have found and, and can verify that the, the Assyrian Empire, some of those soldiers in that empire were the first to suffer, suffer from PTSD, where they would get back for that third year, which was supposed to be a year of R&R. But instead, they were tormented by what they said were the whispers of the people they had tortured or the images or the ghosts of people that they had taken captive and eventually killed. And this was the city, the nation, the civilization that Jonah got a call from God to go preach against. I heard somebody say it would be equivalent to a 22-year-old Jewish man in 1942 getting a call saying, go to the great city of Berlin and preach against it. So what did Jonah do? He ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to what? To flee from the Lord. Keep in mind, this is not an accident. This is not a, a moment, a lapse in Jonah's judgment. It's very deliberate. Jonah heard from God, and he said, I think I'll go in the opposite direction. If you look at these places on a map, Joppa and Tarshish is in the exact opposite direction of Nineveh. Deliberately. I mean, he said, I'm going to deliberately do something that contradicts what God has just asked me to do. So that brings us to our first thought this morning. It's actually a question. Is there anything unpleasant God has asked of you? Some of you are going, unpleasant is a light way to put it. 
Is there anything unpleasant God has asked of you? Either mildly unpleasant or just downright, I don't want to do it. Verse 4. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up. <laughs> right on cue. You guys are recording that, right? <laughs> the captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up. Call on your lowercase g, God. Maybe, just maybe, he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. And they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, Jonah, who is responsible for making, us all, making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? Jonah, what is your deal? So these guys are completely blindsided by these, this storm. These veteran sailors are blindsided by this storm. They're crying out to their gods. They're throwing precious cargo overboard. Cargo that they were called to deliver. That their paychecks depended on. And they're throwing it overboard. And finally they realize somehow, someway, there's something supernatural going on here. Maybe we've got a January storm in June. The winds are blowing weird. The waves are crashing weird. There's something different going on here. And they start to think, we got somewhere, we got some bad juju on this boat. Something's going on here, and it's different. And so they look over, and they see Jonah with that look on his face. You guys know the look? Right? My three daughters, when they, two of them are well into their teens now, and one is 11, but she acts like she's 17. But when they were real little, too little to know better, too little to develop the tactics that teenagers develop. I remember going, I'd, I'd walk in the kitchen and something would be spilled. I'm like, girls, who spilled milk in the kitchen? And I wouldn't hear anything. I need you guys to come out here right now. And they'd come out and they'd stand shoulder to shoulder. Who spilled milk in the kitchen? And one of them would go, I don't know. And the other would go, I don't know. And the third one would go, I don't know. And I'd stand there and go, hmm, this is going to be a tough one to solve. Who could it possibly be? Jonah's got that look on his face. And so to seal the deal, they all decide to cast lots. Paper, rock, scissor, roll the dice, draw straws, whatever. And lo and behold, Jonah comes up the loser. And they look at Jonah and go, I thought, I, I thought so. thought you were the bad apple. So the second thought for today is this. Our unwillingness to surrender can negatively affect the people around us. Our unwillingness to surrender can negatively affect, affect the people around us. So what was Jonah's response to this? He answered, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? Because they knew he was running from the Lord, because he had already fessed up to it. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to you, Jonah, to make the sea calm down for us? Jonah's reply, pick me up and throw me into the sea. 
and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, don't you love that? It's just one good idea after the other. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you please. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. And it's at this moment that Jonah realizes it's time to surrender. He realizes, I'm not outrunning this. And even if by some strange chance I do, what storm is next? There have been times in my life when I've shouted out to God to calm the storm. And God's response has been, I put the storm there to knock the snot out of you because you're running away from me. And in doing so, you're running away from your God-given destiny. The destiny that I have for your life. Some of you are hearing this story today for like the, I don't know, 75th time. Or maybe you're hearing it for the first time. But did you ever wonder why Jonah just didn't run off the bow of the boat? What did he do? He said to them, throw me overboard. Why, why didn't he just run off the bow? He knew what was going on. Why didn't he just run off the, the you know, pick a side, port, starboard, run off of it, jump into the sea? That's how difficult surrender can be. Paralyzing. I can't do it by myself. That's our third point. Our willingness to surrender may be the key to others knowing God. Our willingness to surrender may be the key to others knowing God. Through Jonah's surrender, the men on this boat came into a deeper relationship with the true God. Before this happened, they were praying to their lowercase g gods. God of the sea, God of the sky, God of the earth, God of the boat, God of this little thing hanging around my neck, save me. But they ended up coming into a deeper relationship with the true God through Jonah's surrender. I have a spoiler alert for the story of Jonah. So if you don't want to know it, plug your ears. He ends up going to Nineveh. Through a great working of God, he ends up going to Nineveh. And that city repents. And that city is spared. And by surrendering, Jonah fulfills his God-given destiny. And many, many people are brought into a deeper relationship and a deeper understanding of God. Remember our definition off the top of our time together. Destiny is serving God's purpose with your life and expanding His kingdom in the world. Serving God's purpose and expanding His kingdom. And that's what Jonah ends up doing by surrendering. The first line of the book of Jonah, chapter 1, says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah. There's one more thing I want to share with you guys today. Wouldn't that be nice to have God speak to us? Jeff, don't get Mountain Dew. Get Diet Coke. That would be great to have the audible voice of God speak to us. Well, he has. He has spoken to us. Who has a Bible? Johnny, throw me your Bible. 
The word of the Lord just came to Jeff. The word of the Lord. Did you ever think that people like back in the day, like, gosh, if I could just have like a, a user's manual or like a letter or a book that wasn't for Jonah or wasn't for Daniel or wasn't for Malachi, but it was for everybody, a book. I would have bet they made great, great sacrifices for that luxury, to have a book. The word of the Lord came to Johnny. The word of the Lord came to Dave. The word of the Lord came to Mackie. God has given us his help. He's given us his instructions, his advice, his wisdom. He said, if you're single, this is how you should live the single life. If you're married, this is how you should live the married life. This is how you should handle your finances. This is how you should handle kids. But if I'm being honest, there's times that I've heard it, and I've gone down to Joppa, and I've bought a ticket, and I've headed for Tarshish, and I'm in the storm. Because I've refused to surrender. Maybe our first act of surrender is to take the instructions to heart. And actually say, God, I've tried writing my own plays. I've tried running the plays of my neighbor, and it just does not work. It's not working. And now, God, I want to see what you have to say about this. So regardless of where you are with that, my prayer for you this week is that we all end up in that very difficult but sometimes absolutely necessary place of surrender where we say, God, I'm done with me. That's what Jonah said. Jonah said, God, I'm done with me. I'm going to do it your way. And it may hurt a little bit, but it's worth it. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today.